yesterday, uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, I, my wife and I drove to Charlotte and put our oldest daughter on a plane to Kenya, and she's probably like three hours away from landing in Africa, which is really cool. And uh, I would just personally ask you to, to lift her up in your prayers. Her name, is, her name is Ryan. She was not at all nervous. She just wanted to leave and just let, just let me go through security and fly across the world, um, which we were happy to do. Um, I am a little annoyed that she is beating me back to Africa, um, a little competitive if you don't know me, and um, I'm very jealous of her and the time that she'll get to have there, but uh, I'm looking forward to the stories that she'll be able to share with all of us when she gets back. Um, it's a... I, I, I honestly am torn between praying for a lot more moments like that with my kids and and dreading any any future ones. But honestly, I am I am so excited that um, I, I gave her a, a book about stories of women of faith who serve God. And I put a note in there, and one of the things I told her was that uh, no matter what your circumstance in life, following Jesus um, makes your life a grand adventure. And he is worthy of any cost, any distance. He's just better than anything else you can ever find. And uh, I hope that my daughter and all of us are growing into that, that truth, that we really believe that into the core of our hearts, that even we as parents would more freely offer our kids because we know that following Jesus is, is just that good. So... Um, now my wife and I have no kids at our house for the next week, and we just don't know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> Literally, we don't know what to do. We just, we just don't know what to do with that much free time. Um, it was so easy to get ready for church this morning. Um, I, I was supposed to, um, uh, every year for quite some time, my family has uh, invited people over to our house for Easter. Uh, and we're doing it again. Um, we, we don't know how long we're going to be able to keep on doing this because the numbers keep getting larger, but we're still at the point of just saying, ah, forget it, let's just do it. Um, we started doing this years ago when I first became pastor because a lot of us live in this town away from family, and we really believe that Easter is a time to feast and to rejoice. And if, if you don't have family to share Easter with, we want you to be with our family and be family together. Um, so anyone and everyone is invited, really. I don't know where everybody's going to park, but everybody's invited, and we will find a place for you to park. Uh, we'll start eating at 1 o'clock. I hope. I'm so hungry on Easter. Um, <laughs> 1 o'clock on Easter Sunday. Bring stuff to contribute um, and, and pray for better weather than this. We've done it in the rain. So it, not even rain like this will stop us. Um, and if you do have family that you can celebrate Easter with, but you still want to come to our house, I'm not here to judge you, okay? You can still come to our house. You are more than welcome to be a part of our family on Easter Sundays. It's usually a lot of people and a good time and even I, an introvert, at the end of the day, though exhausted, 
um, think it's well, well worth it. So please come, and we'll remind you again next week. We'll get you directions to our house and, and everything. So um, this, this is Palm Sunday, and uh, this is an interesting week in the church calendar. It's the, the week in the church calendar for all intents and purposes. This Sunday is, is really weird and, and and strange if you really think about it and look at it head on. So turn to Luke 19, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. We've been in Matthew for quite a few weeks, and I was going to preach the triumphal entry passage from Matthew, but just decided Luke was the way to go. And um, we'll start at verse 28. I'll read through uh, 48. Jesus, just before this, is uh, told a, a parable quite similar to the parable of the talents that we talked about weeks ago. Um, and so that's what he's referencing here when he says, and, and then. And when he had said these things, when Jesus said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. On the road, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation." And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. And Father, I pray that we would see you for who you are, that our praise would be earnest, would be honest, and be integrous, that we would not be double-hearted. But Father, make us people of praise to glorify your name. Amen. <clears throat> Palm Sunday is, uh, is quite strange, and uh, in a little bit we're going to do some strange stuff because that's what we do on Palm Sunday. We do strange things together. This is a strange story. Um, 
Because if you just read uh, verses 28 through 40, you kind of get the, the sense that this is like, this is a victory parade, this is a high point, this is a shining moment. But this is the moment in the story, in Luke's gospel and all the gospels, where the story turns quite dark. Everything accelerates from Palm Sunday to Good Friday. And we know that ultimately the, the tone of the story in the gospel takes a, a much sadder, darker, grievous note because of what is coming. And it, it sort of accelerates in the teachings of Jesus. Uh, you can see it in the way certain gospel writers construct the narrative that, that Jesus' teachings take on quite a bit of an edge. And there is an increasing confrontation between Jesus and the people who here have welcomed and acclaimed him. So that somehow, by the end, these same people, the same crowd, the same city, will be there to cry for his crucifixion. And that, you're not supposed to kind of segment your memory and pretend that on this day, that stuff, we don't know it's coming. You are supposed to know it's coming. You're supposed to know that the end result that starts at Palm Sunday is Good Friday. And that is supposed to hang over the notes of the song that these people sing. And this is all tied up in their expectations, their longing for the King of Israel to come ride in and give them what they are longing for. Israel is full of desperate longing for the King to come and to liberate them from all of these foreign powers that have oppressed them. The dream of Israel at this point feels so dead and so broken, and they are so hungry for the God of Israel to assert His power and to break the back of evil now and forever. They are desperate for this to happen. And, and Jesus' life and ministry for these people who are gathered there has caused them to believe that He might be the one. This may be the one, because of everything that He's done, He might be the one to finally deliver them from all of this darkness. And they are claiming Him and treating Him like a king who is riding into the city. They are picking up palms and waving them as a sign of victory. They are singing traditional kingly victory songs. They are calling him the son of David. They are calling him the king of Israel. They are saying, this is the guy. This is the one who will finally free us. It has been hundreds and hundreds of years since Israel has ruled itself. It has been hundreds and hundreds of years since somebody has rightfully and securely occupied David's seat. And they are there on the edges of Jerusalem saying, we are on the edge of this thing happening. And Israel believes that this is the way the world is supposed to work. That they should be secure, that somebody should, should sit on David's seat and David's son should rule rightly and justly and that everything from there will be made right. And so they are full of longing. And yet Luke does not allow you a moment to think that they have rightly understood what Jesus is about to do. Because the immediate scene is that Jesus rides past this acclaim, looks past the suburbs of Jerusalem where he is, looks down to Jerusalem, and he weeps. 
And he says, oh, that you would have seen your hour of visitation. Because Jesus is seeing into the heart of what this city is doing and is seeing into the future. And not too long from, from this point, just a few decades later, Rome will not be absent from Jerusalem. Rome will destroy Jerusalem. And Israel will cease to exist. Jesus sees this moment of judgment. And he sees that this country, this people, this nation, far from being reestablished in security, they will vanish. The people scattered over the face of the earth. And he weeps for them. And if that was not all, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and he goes to the heart of what makes Israel Israel. And he goes to the temple and he helps us there by putting a finger on what is fundamentally wrong with Israel. And he goes to the court of the temple and he finds these money changers and he chucks them out. Offering for us this little quote from the book of Isaiah. This thing that he says, he says, My house shall be called a house of prayers from Isaiah 56. And, and just as a, as a point of instruction for you, when you are reading the Gospels, when you are reading the New Testament, and you see a quotation from the Old Testament, you are not meant to just read the quotation and move on. If you're like me, that's what I normally do. You are meant to stop and to go back and not just read the verse, the line, but the whole passage. The Gospel writers, the New Testament writers, expect that you will operate like a Jewish person who has memorized the Old Testament, and you will recall everything that that passage is from. Now, if you are like me and have not quite memorized the whole Old Testament, most of your Bibles will give you a little note down at the bottom and tell you where that passage comes from. This line is from Isaiah 56. And Isaiah 56, the whole chapter of it, is God's plan to bring the foreigner into Israel. The whole thing is about bringing people who could not be qualified to worship in the temple and planting them in the temple. He talks about the eunuch who would, would be forever disqualified from worshiping in the worshiping community. Eunuchs are not allowed into the temple mount to worship, but in Isaiah 56, God promises that he'll bring a eunuch and give them a spiritual inheritance in Israel. And he tells Israel, there is a day that's coming when the foreigner, they will come in and they will be able to worship. And what it seems like Jesus is he's saying this, he's referencing this whole prophecy. And what these people seem to have done is set up their money changing outfit in the court of the Gentiles, the only place where the Gentiles could come and worship, the only place that they were allowed in the temple that was designated for them, Israel had set up their money-changing outfit. Now, money-changing has to happen. It's part of the deal. You have to have sacrifices. You can't just come in and bring your, whatever, Iraqi pesos and just buy a goat. you got to get it into the currency of Israel, the temple currency, so you got to change your money. It has to happen. It doesn't happen to happen there, though. It doesn't have to happen in the space where the Gentiles are meant to worship. And Jesus drives them out 
Because what he is saying without saying everything is the same thing that Isaiah was saying, which is that God is driving people in from the edges of the earth, from the edges of society, from the edges of culture, and he is bringing them in to worship him rightly. And he says, my house will be house of prayer, and you are robbing these people of what is most valuable. This itself speaks to the fundamental problem that Israel was faced with. They did not understand who Jesus was or what he was doing. Jesus rides in into the city, the other Gospels will tell us, not just on any cult, but on the cult of a donkey. This beast of burden that has no business in battle. And what Israel wants is a king who will ride in on a war horse. They have an expectation that God will send an emperor, and the emperor will ride in on his war horse, and he will destroy the enemies of Israel. And what they do not understand is that God would ride in on a donkey and make his enemies his sons and his daughters. And Israel has no time for a God like that. Israel has no time for a God who might collect those who hate him and make them into lovers of him. And so ultimately, they will look at that God and they will say, crucify him. Good Friday is filled with the culmination of the disappointment that is building in the story through today. The fury of their disappointment with God, the rejection of God's way, is what ultimately drives the spikes through Jesus' hands and feet. And what is Jesus' fundamental judgment of the whole thing? He looks down on them on Good Friday. And he both diagnoses and blesses them by saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that judgment is what weaves its way through this whole perilous story. You don't know what you're doing. If only you had known the hour of your visitation. And what is what is here in this text is warning to us that you and I are not that different from Israel. If you read your Bible from, from beginning to end, from cover to cover, and you somehow can step away and say, those crazy Israelites, I would never do that. I'm a pretty, I, I would be there on Palm Sunday waving the palms. I would not be there on Good Friday shouting for his crucifixion. You are missing what the scriptures are telling you, which is that you are Israel. You and I are given to this precise confusion all the time. We demand what God will be. We have expectation and demand that he will be this way. And when God is this way, we are angry at him. Or not even angry. We ignore him. 
We turn away to our own way. When we do this, we are saying with our lips, God, be enthroned on your throne. But what we mean is, I will be on my throne. God is my God when he does what I want. When we read the, the stories of, the, of Holy Week, we are meant to understand you and I are in the crowd both on Palm Sunday and Good Friday. We are the kind of people who do just this, who acclaim the name of God when He is in alignment with what we think we want and we curse Him and we crucify Him when He dares to trample upon our wishes. And in the gospel stories, the character of Jesus, the character of God is on display. Because you don't see Jesus ride through Palm Sunday, turn around and say, I hate those fools. You don't see Jesus in that moment calling what he says is waiting, the army of angels to come and punish these people. Jesus does not even in that moment take up his sword. He does not even in that moment hop from the donkey to the war horse and ride down these people, these hypocrites who say they love him but then will kill him. Even in that moment, Jesus weeps over his city. These people that are meant to be his people. He wants to bring them under that he might be like a brooding mother. He might protect them. He might cherish them. He might love them. Even then, even though he knows what will happen, his character is consistent and on display. And even when he rides into Jerusalem in that moment, he does not say, burn the temple down. What he does is says, throw it open and let the Gentiles come in. Because the thing that is true about our misunderstanding is that we always expect less of God. Our imaginations of what God should be like are never better than He actually is. They are always smaller. They are always worse than what God truly is. And so what God will do is He will indeed trample on all these little petty expectations of Him, He will refuse to give you and I what we want, and we will rail against God, and we will call Him a dictator, and we will be angry with Him, and we will doubt Him, and He will be doing it in His goodness and His kindness because He's better than our small expectations of Him. And He will still be the God who utters from the cross forgiveness, for you and I, ignorant and small people like us. Because He loves you. He loves you. Sometimes, many times, He will deny you because He will give you something better. And this morning, you are invited to reckon with this King. You are invited to see the God who has indeed ridden in triumphantly and triumphed in his victory in ways that you would not have expected but is better than you could have imagined. For many of the people of God, Palm Sunday, this Sunday, should be a morning of repentance. How have you and I put limits on what God should be like 
drawn a tight little box around his generosity and kindness and not forgiving him for being better than we could have hoped. This morning, the Jesus of Palm Sunday is before you that you might repent and turn away. Even if it hurts, even if your, your anger at God comes from tragedy, from the pain of a broken world. He does, not, he does not spit on the tragedy that has wounded you, but He instead provides a way for you to see through the tragedy and have hope that God might yet reign in a way that you cannot conceive of. God is not asking you to rationalize away or put aside all the terrible things that have happened to you. What God is asking for you this morning is that you trust Him. And that is that He is so good that you would even still be able to say, I have been crushed, I have been wounded, I have been broken, I do not understand why the world is thus and so, but I can trust you. I can just trust you. That's all I can manage. That is the kind of king that He wants to be for you this morning. And if you don't know Jesus... This story is inviting you to dare to believe that God may actually be better than you could have hoped for. That God actually may be taking up your cause. You might be the one who is far off. You might be the eunuch. You might be the rejected one. And God has made space in His city and His Jerusalem for you today. That even in your misunderstanding of him, he was yet working on your behalf. Paul would say it, while you were still an enemy, Christ died for you. The good news of the gospel is on display. Even in this story of incredible misunderstanding, you are being invited to come see Palm Sunday Jesus who is Good Friday Jesus, who is Easter Sunday Jesus, who will trample on your expectations and crush the powers of sin and death and darkness that have bound you and invaded you and made you its slave. He will not be put off by your expectations. He will not be hindered by the powers that are opposed to you, that have ensnared you, that flow out of you. He is not afraid. He will never be afraid because though he may have ridden in on a donkey, he is the emperor of Israel. He is the king of Israel that they could not see. He is not coming to deliver them from the powers of Rome or any other political enemy. He is coming to deliver them from everything that actually enslaves them. He does ride in as the emperor that they could not have imagined. And if you are here today, enslaved and entrenched and in powers that you cannot be free from, this Jesus will save you. He will save you. Because He loves you. And this Jesus is calling you to Himself this morning. And all of God's people are called to the same response. To raise up our hands and to say, Hosanna, the King of Israel has ridden in. The Son of David is at hand. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus Christ, 
He is here with his people now and forever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your work for us, for your life spilled out for us. We confess to you that we are a double-hearted people who easily one day might sing your praises and the next day curse you in our hearts. We are still this kind of people in many ways. And yet your love for us is consistent and faithful. It is entirely itself from first to last. There is no double-mindedness or division in you. There is no one like you because of that. And Father, we, we turn to you. We offer ourselves. We confess to you our sin. And we come to you. Though the darkness has pierced us, though the darkness comes from us, our hope yet is in you. Father, I pray for everyone here, wherever they are on the spectrum of faith, whether they, they feel so far from you or they've never known you, whether they should feel close to you but they don't, God, I pray that all of us together might respond to you this morning, the King of glory who has ridden into our midst. Lord Jesus, help us to see you clearly this morning and to understand this is the hour of our visitation. By your Holy Spirit, help us to respond with gladness of heart. Take us, Lord Jesus, heal us, mend us, and restore us to right fellowship with you as only you could have done. We trust you in this, Lord Jesus. Amen.